for joining another episode of Next in Q. My name is Rob Dwyer, and this is the podcast about contact center and CX professionals. And today I am really excited to have someone join me who doesn't quite fit the mold. Professor Ryan Warner, how are you? Thank you for joining the show. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, I brought you onto this show because you are uh, a master of communication, we might say, and we're going to get into that. But first, uh, let's learn a little bit more about you, where you're from, um, and maybe where you grew up. Sure, yeah. I grew up in Southern Ontario in Canada. And, but yeah, so I I grew up there mostly. And then I, I moved to New York. I went to school in New York for a little bit. And went to school in California for a little bit and started my first professional job. I started teaching in Australia, actually, wow. and uh, as a school teacher. Yeah. And then yeah, I've taken a stroll down memory lane here. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I came back to Ontario and continued teaching there. And then I just decided I, I um, there was a, a number of, you know, life happens a number of things happen in parallel. And at somewhere along the lines, I kind of got organically pushed into um, higher education. I felt like I could make more of a difference there and there was more opportunities there. Um, so I went, uh, you know, continued my education, got a second master's and, and, you know, started a doctorate program to teach, to become a professor. And yeah. And then, like I said, in parallel, I was doing consulting and coaching and organizations had come to me on the side and had asked me, you know, can you help us with onboarding our new employees or can you help us with how we're going to make this pitch we need more investment and we need to structure this so there was a lot of things happening at once i know i'm kind of condensing 14 15 years of (laughs) activity into 30 seconds but but yeah does that kind of give you what you're looking for yeah so tell me about australia how did how did that come to pass because that seems a little bit out of the way yeah, it it is actually now it's funny you mentioned that now in hindsight, looking back, it does. It's not something that, you know, the, the average person would do um, at the time when I was when I had graduated uh, from teachers college, there wasn't there wasn't much opportunity in, in southern Ontario. Well, actually, in all of Ontario for teachers, teachers was kind of uh, it was a big there was many uh, individuals who were going into that profession at the time. So the market was kind of flooded. There wasn't a lot of opportunity. And at the, I just happened to have a family member, my uncle, who was previously, he was a, a teacher in Ontario and he moved to Australia and became uh, him and his wife, my aunt became teachers there. So after I completed, you know, my, all my credentials, they had kind of, you know, put the bug in my ear saying like, why don't you come here? We need teachers here. There's, there's job for you here. And I was young at the time. I think I was like 21 or 22. So, you know, when you're that age, you're like, yeah, what, what, you know, yeah. what the heck? Let's hop on a plane. What's worse could happen, right? And you don't realize it's like 30 hours away from, from <laughs> everything, everything, you know, and 
you know, everything from like the, the, the lights, the outlets are totally not what you expected and everything's different there, new culture. But at the time you think, oh, I'll figure it out. Right. And you do, but yeah, so that's how that kind of happened. I can tell you in one word, it was hot. It was coming from <laughs> someone coming from Canada. It was hot. Like I never experienced before. Yeah, I have to imagine, right, Ontario. So for for our American listeners who may not be super strong with geography, uh, so so you're uh, very close to New York, very close to Niagara Falls, right? Um, yep. So very northern uh, climate. And then what city did you end up in in Australia? I bounced around a little bit, but I predominantly was in Perth, which is Western okay. Australia. Yeah. And then I made my way progressively up to Darwin, which is uh, Northern Australia. And yeah, like I said, like you, you, you've never experienced heat. Like you, like I said, like, <laughs> oh, that's one thing when people ask me, it's the first thing that comes to mind. I just could not fathom it. It, it took a, like a long time for every day. It was like, really again? <laughs> <laughs> just groundhog day but with heat yeah yeah exactly. good times so so you moved back to canada and then you were doing a lot of instructional design uh along with training and i always look at that as a fascinating combination because i feel like there are very different skills that are required for instructional design versus actual training delivery mm -hmm. which of those did did you find more enjoyable and or was there a specific challenge with one or the other that you struggled with yeah you know what's funny i get asked that a lot because uh, many people just like people are either listeners or they're readers the way they um, process and and you know, basically take in information, receive and process information. In education or training, people are predominantly either the designers or the deliverers. And they, yeah. they tend to gravitate to one another. I find myself really the, the a combination of both. Now, which do I prefer to do? I prefer to deliver because I just love being in front of people and speaking. But at the same time, if you don't have a, a well orchestrated plan, if you're not on stable ground, you don't have that platform that you can kind of go out on a limb on and uh, seasoned speakers know what I mean. But if you have concrete information, a good plan to go off of, then you can integrate a story or an experience that lends itself to the point, or you can kind of adjust because you know that you're going to come back to your home base, your, your, your foundation. So yeah, I learned pretty early on that they're, they, they mesh together. And the more you think about that, like the more you deliver, it, it helps your planning because then you can kind of envision how it's going to unfold. And depending on what your goals are of the session, what you want the your audience members or your trainees to come away with, you can really help shape that the more experience you have delivering. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that really rings true for me. I remember early in my training career, uh, we would have a lot of upskilling or cross training and there would be multiple sessions because you could only get so many people this was live in person and you could only get so many people into a room at, at a given time and i a lot of times we didn't have a, a lot of time to prepare for these right so we're giving the given the material relatively 
uh, soon before we had to start training it. And I always felt very unprepared for the first couple of sessions. And then I would try different things and just kind of see how they landed. And then by the, like, I felt bad for the people that were in the early sessions because they were the guinea pig, pigs. By the end, I had it down, right? I had the cadence <laughs> down. I had right all of the little uh, devices that I would use throughout that training session. I'd already tested them out and I knew what worked and, and what didn't work. And I feel like that's part of that plan that you're talking about when you have the time you can work that stuff out you can practice it a little bit and see okay how is this going to work so that the first time you deliver you feel way more prepared mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely so today you are uh, a professor of communication at mcmaster university but you are also the director the trainer, the executive coach, you have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of titles with um, professional presentation services. Mm -hmm. And then you have written a book, which I'm excited to get. It's on the way. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but <laughs> it has um, a solid five-star rating on Amazon. And we're not talking about just two or three ratings. It's, it's a solid reading on Amazon and it's called the effective presenter. Um, but I'm curious. Oh, Hey, there it is. There's hold it up. Hold good it job. Up. Get the plug, <laughs> get the plug and we'll make sure and uh, link that on Amazon. But uh, I want to talk about some of the things in that, but first I'm curious, like what was your first kind of big presentation opportunity and how did that go? I didn't, I took a left turn on me there. I thought you were going to ask me something else. My first big presentation opportunity. You know, it's, it's, I don't actually have that on hand. I can tell you that because I was a teacher for a few years before I you know, elevated to a professor in college and then a professor in university. I, and yeah, in Canada, I know in the States, it's all college, but in Canada, we have college university. Um, I had taught for so long in, in education in the classroom that I and found immediately skills that I had developed and I had kind of taken for granted, or I didn't fully understand how they would translate to the real world or to the business world outside of education. That was something that was really a real eye opener for me that you know, when you're teaching anyone from like I've taught, you know, kindergarten children age three and four, all the way up to, you know, adults age 80. And you learn that you need to get them to, you need to get them into a receptive mode. I call it like getting the drawbridge down from the castle. If the drawbridge isn't down, doesn't matter what you send in, it's not getting in, it's going to hit the wall. Yeah. You got to get that drawbridge down to get through to them, to make that channel. And, you know, as when you're when you're teaching, it's just like, you need to get them this information. And if you don't find a way to make it palatable for them to make it interesting for them, they're not going to lower that drawbridge. And it doesn't matter what you say, it's just bouncing off. So I remember vividly, when I was teaching school, a couple different strategies that I would use to get them to kind of and it was, a lot of it was structuring sequencing, some of it was certain language to use, like, I'm going to tell you something important. 
you know, if you forget everything else I said, just remember this point. And then you would have them for that moment. And then that was an opportunity to, to build off that. But those little skills I realized later on, that's what really kind of led me into communication and presentation, because just a few words you say can change someone's mindset, can change someone's whole attitude and engagement level. And that kind of perked my curiosity and propelled me down that path. But I remember specific moments, but I, I can't quite remember the first actual presentation I gave in business. It was probably a training session. Fantastic. I, I absolutely know that <laughs> some of the things that you say, I, I have very specific memories going through my mind <laughs> that I remember exactly uh, how I felt in that moment. I'm wondering for you, uh, do you find it more challenging or is there a difference between um, teaching children versus adults? Yeah, well, there, there yes. So there, there's differences and there's similarities, but it, it's actually times have changed now. So I haven't been in the classroom with children in, in quite a few years, but from what I remember, from what I recall, they are, you know, the, just, just the they're used to processing data. It's funny, I wrote an article on this recently. They're used to processing information so quickly because they've had technology, especially the children now, right? They Some of them have used an iPad before they've learned to walk, right? <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. It, it is, right? But you think about it and they're just so adept at finding the correct information so quickly. Whereas I'm sure when you and I were, if we want an answer to a question, we had to read like, you know, four books, try to find out exactly what we're looking for. And even then you might not find it. And now it's, it's just like, poof, it's at their fingertips. So, um, they're, they're used to receiving information in a totally different way. So they're, because of that, they tend to gravitate towards that. And sometimes, you know, what can appear, they can appear bored or disinterested, but it's actually because they've already arrived at the answer and now they want to know what to do with it. And we're still explaining to them how to get the answer sometimes, at least I'm speaking from my own experiences. That's one thing that kind of uh, like one, one realization that I came to, but the, uh, with regard to uh, training adults, I find that they're a little bit more invested because they can see, because when you, when you make the connection, you know, when you tell a kid like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to learn that you're going to love this one day, one day you're going to thank me that you learned this. And <laughs> they're like, yeah, okay. I want to go outside and play, or I want to go back on my iPad. Right. And, right. But when you're talking to an adult and you're saying like, this will help you close more deals or this will you know get you the funding you need. Then they're like, okay, you got me because th th their priorities are just different. You know what I, do you understand? Yeah, absolutely. There's that immediate application that they have in mind can be far different than a kid who maybe is learning algebra and going, I don't, uh, you know, when am I going to use this? Correct. <laughs> Precisely. Yes. And it turns out algebra, we, we use a lot. Geometry and calculus, not so much, it turns <laughs> out. So... What led you to write the book? I mean, obviously you've been doing this um, professionally for quite some time. Mm -hmm. What was the moment that you thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to write a book? Yeah, that I actually can tell you that moment. I, I remember precisely. Uh, so what, what happened was over the years. So I think I started professional presentation services. It started as just me. Like I was just, I had helped, I had a few friends, I've told the story a few times, 
I had a few friends of mine in the Bay Area, in San, San Francisco, San Jose, and they had startup companies. I was going, I went down there on vacation when I was, I was younger and just hoping to go to California, get some sunshine again. <laughs> and they, they, you know, were having a talk around the breakfast table and they were talking about their pitch they had coming up. And I made a suggestion that was based off the research I was doing in, in college at the time. I was doing research on persuasive communication and effective communication strategies for, um, for investments and for basically having to do with money, because when money's involved, it's a different mindset that people get into. So I had proposed a different sequence, a different structure, and they inquired why. And I then proceeded to explain to them the, the human process and how we think and what will help shape our, our opinions and make our decisions. And instantly they were like, you have to come back. You have to help out. You have to do a training session for our, our team. I said, okay, yeah, sure. Happy to. And then after that, it proceeded to, I got a friend, you got to help. Um, he's also got a startup company in a different space. You know, can you help them? And so just by progression, I just kind of acquired, I guess you'd call them clients. But at the time I just thought I was doing my friends a favor. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll help, help you out. No problem. And then eventually, you know, I had to, I got the talk from one of my friends who's in business. Like you have to start you have to make it at least like a business you have to do that so over over the years it's kind of it's progressed and now i think i got to the point at most i had like i was working with 60 some uh, clients uh, individuals teams organizations and i just simply especially well, along with my professorship there was just too much too there wasn't enough of, of ryan to go around <laughs> so, so a couple friends have they had put the bug in my ear. They said, "Why can you just make a resource for us? Can you make a guide? Can you make something that if we can't get a hold of you, at least we can flip to it and or we can go through it and find the answer?" Because some of the questions were repetitive, right? Right, right. So yeah, that kind of that was. I was thinking about it for a while, and then just I don't know. It didn't. It didn't. I, I'm I'm not a big fan of write. Like I don't love to write. I'm a speaker. I love to speak. So writing was. Uh, I don't know if I want to. I've written articles before, academic articles and such, but writing a, like almost like a novel is is a different animal. So I, but I took the plunge. I, it was a moment where I was like, you know what? There's, I, I'm tired of saying sorry, sorry, sorry. I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so that that was it. So how long did it take you for something that you don't like to do? This book is uh, what? It's a little under two hundred pages. It's yeah. it's uh, not super long, but it's also not super short. Um, how, how long did that take? Yeah, it took to write the book itself probably took, oh, it was a, it wasn't like a 40 hour a week thing. So it was like chipping away here and there, but I would say probably about eight to nine months. Um, and the revision process probably took another year. So it was. It was a long, well, it was, like I said, I was chipping away at it and I had to, you know, I had my publisher who was, you know, they're editing it too. So everyone was kind of working on it together, but uh, yeah, it was, and I think back on it, the whole publishing process was new to me and I didn't realize this too, because I usually go by pages too, but in the publishing world, they go by words. So it's kind of funny now because people ask me, how long is your book? And I'm like, oh, 60,000 words. And they're like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Yeah, I I guess uh, I hadn't ever considered that. So uh, I'll keep that in mind for my first book. I'm not sure what that book's going to be just yet, but I'll, I'll keep that in mind. That's I learned something new today. So uh, I don't want to spoil this because certainly I think that um, people should get the book, but 
let's talk about if you had to pick like one lesson out of the book for someone in the professional world that maybe was dealing with sales or was um, doing presentations that you feel like is like super valuable, but also really kind of easy to implement or um, quick to implement, what would that be? Yeah. So can I, I will answer that question. Can I just give a little pre-answer before? Yeah, please. So the book itself, the way for listeners out there who haven't, um, who haven't read it yet, the effective presenter, the way I designed it was based off a framework. So, and that's the way it's not so much the way my mind works, but after having so many conversations and coaching so many people on delivering presentations, I realized if you have a set structure, a formula for them to follow, right? Like A plus B equals C type of thing that it, they feel more comfortable with it. So what I have done was all of my years teaching presentations, delivering presentations, coaching presentations, researching presentations, I had taken all of that in, that data and I've created a nine step framework. And if you, it almost looks like a, like a hopscotch chart, like a, like a little pyramid of boxes. And if you go through in the correct sequence and you complete the framework, you will have afforded yourself the highest probability of success. It means you've left nothing to chance. You've you know identified everything that needs, that's worthy of being identified. And the, the chances are you're gonna achieve your desired outcome. So each of the, the chapters in the book is going into detail on each of the steps. Now, one thing that I found particularly um, interesting, and I almost took it took it to heart, was that every presentation book that I have read previously, which I think there was like dozens, it was like 20 different books I read on presentations, each of them discussed how important a component was. For example, the audience. They would say, oh, the audience is the most important stakeholder, which they are. But, and, and they would just go on at length to discuss why, and you know, et cetera, and, and how the interactions can unfold. And but the one thing they didn't that I always get asked, whether I'm teaching an MBA class on present business presentations or I'm I'm training, is what okay, I know my audience now. What does that matter? How does that help me? Right? How does that inform what I include? And then how does that help my delivery of it? Like people, you're telling me the audience is important. Good. I now I know my audience. What do I do with that? Right. There's like a missing, a missing link there, right? Yeah. So that's one of the things I focus on. It's really important to me that in each of the, the chapters with each component for example, know how much time you have, right? Well, what does that mean? And then once you know that, how do you plan for that accordingly? What's a couple strategies you can do? To, because for me, it's like I need to give people tools and resources so that they can use it. It's not just, oh, yeah, I just tell you how great the audience is. And then, by the way, um, yeah, good luck figuring out how you're going to get through <laughs> to them now, right? Uh, so that that's basically the, the premise of the book. And it's meant so that you can from start to finish, of course, but also, like I said, if you need help with visual aids, oh, how did Ryan say to design visual aid? Oh, yeah, picture on the right text on the left, right? So like things like that, that you can just dip into it afterwards. But one thing I can tell folks about that, that's probably the most important. And even if you don't read the book, just remember this, in any interaction, whether it's a you're leading a meeting, or whether you're pitching something, you're selling something, whatever it is, you have to have your desired outcome identified. And you need the, the more specified you have it, the more likely to bring it to fruition. Now, again, many people know this, but what they don't know, and what I have come to via research and experience, and I tell people is have 
tiers of what success looks like. So have your best case scenario. What is the absolute best case scenario, right? If you're selling, I don't know, a vacuum cleaner, maybe it's that you sell the vacuum cleaner to the customer and they refer you to two of their friends and their sister. And now you sold four vacuum cleaners in the same call or you know, all done, right? Maybe that's right. the best case scenario. And then you want to have your medium, which in this scenario that I just made up off the top of my head would be maybe you just close the sale with uh, the one vacuum cleaner. And then your bare minimum, you have to have that. Like if, if all else fails, what do you have to come away with? And more often than not, when I'm coaching folks, it's usually at the bare minimum, they want to see you as prepared, professional and polished. Basically, they want to respect you and say, I, I would work with you again. Or if you phone me again, I'll pick up the phone. I don't, you know, you're not going to be that person's like, I don't want to talk to them. They're going to be like, this person treated me with respect. They were prepared. You know, it wasn't the right time for me or I had a prior commitment, but yeah, definitely I'd like, they're, they're a good person. That's yeah, that, usually the bare takeaway. Yeah. That's, that's interesting as a bare minimum. It feels to me like setting up the stage for potentially a future sale. Correct. If you don't make it there. Yeah. We, we would call that building your brand, um, your individual brand. And at the end of the day, that's what's that's going to pay residual, like that's going to pay dividends down the road. But you'd be surprised. Oh, I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised, Rob, but some pe folks would be surprised how many people in sales currently will go into a sale just say, okay, I got to go off this script or I got to tell them, you know, that this will help them this way. That's all they know how to do, right? The whole building rapport with them, the whole, you know, making sure that they're professional and and that like they don't think about the tears they don't think about really what am i what am i doing here right they those that level of thought does not occur to them and un, it's unfortunate because when you have that that level of thought you have that reflection it really does guide your questions and it'll help you arrive at better results simple as that yeah i absolutely agree that i think most people particularly early on in any type of sales career probably are not thinking about that. And I think a lot of it boils down to the way organizations train salespeople, which is sometimes they just don't train them, right? And they mm -hmm. don't teach them how to be successful in a sales career. Uh, or they just give them very specific tools, for instance, like a script and a script can be very useful when you're getting started, but it doesn't necessarily um, help you make those connections that you're talking about where I take it to the next level. And I think about um, what's unique about this person and how I can take, you know, the techniques that I know, but actually make it apply to this individual. Absolutely. It, it's, um, again, going back to the audience, but people, I mean, we're all guilty of this because we're human beings, but we're kind of like egocentric. Sometimes we're stuck in our own world. Like I need to make this sale, right? Or I, that's my goal. But the person on the other end, they've heard a script from five other people that day, right? And yeah. and you delivering the same, like if you put yourself in their shoes, they're like, hey, this is just another another person reading a script to me, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like this is going to, oh yeah, this is the one, this is the one I'll say yes to, right? So when you know that, then it helps you kind of adjust your approach and be like, listen, I'm sure five or six people have already read your scripts. I don't want to do that. I want to help you. Like, let me know if like, will this help? What will help you? Will this help you? If not, whatever. sorry, I'm going into launching into a, a <laughs> hypothetical scenario again. I do that sometimes. No, I think that's good. I, that, 
I think those kinds of things really help illustrate for the listeners the kinds of ways that they can approach conversations if they're involved in any type of sales. And that holds true of um, the frontline agents who might be doing some type of sales. Uh, That can be very different how they approach their sales because um, they probably have a limited amount of time and maybe they, you know, Uh, don't have the same opportunities to build rapport, but that doesn't stop you from building rapport with someone that you have on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big miss often that we get, we, like, we just miss these little clues when you've got people who are on the phone in a, in a sales career, but not a sales mindset. They miss the little clues that are opportunities for you to make that connection with someone and just build a little bit of rapport because they're focused on, I need to get through this sales process, not focused on the outcome like you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't tell you, I I, I know a lot of people say that, but I literally cannot tell you how many whether it's entrepreneurs pitching to an investor or whether it's uh, people selling when people in sales, when you have your brand and your message is I'm here to help you. I'm prepared. I have all my ducks in a row. And you know, if I can't support you today, that's okay. Maybe down the road we can connect again. I can't tell you how many times that has, like I said, unforeseen benefits, right? We human beings, our mind is, is kind of warped. Like we have this phenomenon that's, you know, what we see doesn't exist. That's what we think. If we don't see it, it doesn't exist. And uh, Dr. Daniel Kahneman wrote about this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And one of the things is that we don't realize that the investor that we pitch to, even though I'm pitching a new toothbrush or something, that they don't have the resources to support me, but guess what? They rub shoulders with 15 other investors. One of them's in healthcare. And then a week later, I get a call from some other investor. And I thought the pitch went horrible because they declined. But now I get a call, hey, I heard you're working on something interesting. Can we set up 15 minutes? And all of a sudden, like, whoa, where did that come from? Right. Well, it came from because you were professional, you were polished. You didn't see that happening behind the scenes, but that's what happens. And the more you do that, the more that things gravitate towards you, the more opportunities you'll realize because simply because you're presenting yourself as someone who will support others, someone who's willing to looking to add value. It's not someone who's looking to take and then run away, right? You're not like a snake oil salesman. You're someone who's like, listen, I want to help you. I want to continue to help you because I want this to be a win-win down the road, right? And if you can't let me, if I can't help you, let me know. And I'll either adjust my something, I'll find something else for you, or, you know, you let me know when you're ready. But that's what people want. They don't want to be pestered, right? They want to know they have an asset and an ally, not something they have to like keep at arms, like keep pushing away. Yeah, it reminds me of the old adage that people don't buy products, they buy people. (laughs) Yeah. And, and yeah. it really is all about that relationship. And um, that holds true of recommendations as well, right? I, I know personally, I've connected people because, hey, I've talked to this person and yeah, I don't, I don't need or really want what they have, but I run into someone and I'm like, oh, you know what? <laughs> I, I've got someone you should talk to, right? And mm-hmm. it's because I liked that person. And to your point, I felt they were prepared, professional, like that I'm willing to put someone else into contact with them because I think they'll get treated the right way. And that is long-term a huge advantage. Oh, absolutely. 
I mean, I can tell you firsthand that like my, <clears throat> my insurance agent here, my local insurance agent where I'm, where I'm stationed, but he, it's not like I'm probably paying $8 more a month or something more than that I could be getting. Right. Yeah. And people are like, Oh, why would you do that? Well, because you know, I have a, can I have a connection that he'll, he'll text me or he'll let me know when something's happening or, Hey, here's this. Or if I want to call him, he'll pick up the phone. Like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of connection, that rapport is what people want more than they want the service of the product that you're, so that's more valuable knowing that they can trust someone mm-hmm. that's worth a cost in itself. If yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So great advice uh, for all of you out there that might be doing anything with sales for sure. But even if you're just doing a, a presentation, that's not sales, getting that rapport can really just go a long way. So I mentioned before that I would encourage everyone to read the book. So where's the best place for them to get a hold of this book? Because I know it's actually sold out a couple of print runs. (laughs) (laughs) So where's the best place for them to get a copy of the effective presenter? Yeah. Thank you for, for mentioning that. That was another world you know there's the whole publishing a book process for me was was new territory uh, because like when you publish academic articles in higher education it's you know it goes to a review board and then it's like in a journal but when you publish a book it's a whole another animal the best place is the best price is on amazon for some reason i'm not sure so it's very it's available anywhere books are sold but it's available on apple it's available everywhere but for some reason yeah the best price is on amazon and yeah, that was something, sorry, I'm just going to piggyback on. That was something that was interesting too. Like, you know, my, my publicist called me the day before it was scheduled to come out. So it was supposed to come out January 28th, I think. And then it came out uh, on January 27th. I got a phone call and my publisher is in England. And, and up till that point, we'd only spoke a handful of times. Usually our correspondence was through messaging or email. And when I got the call, I was like, oh, something happened with the book. Like, they're not going to. Like I was like, oh, it was going to be negative. You know, our, our minds go negative, right? So right. I'm like, oh, what now? Right. Cause there was already, there was an issue before with the cover and everything. I'm like, oh, what now? And they're like, yeah, so we have, uh, we have a slight problem. You know, your book sold out. And I said, what do you mean sold? Out? I thought we ordered extra copies. Like, yeah, we did. We sold those out too. So I said, <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? No more? Like, no, it means there's going to be a delay. So, you know, just tell everyone that you're going to, I was like, oh man, it kind of blew my mind for a second. I had to like recalibrate and I was like, okay. And then, yeah, but now, now there, there's more than enough to go. Now they, they've printed like extra thousands and thousands of copies. So, so we're good. So feel free. It'll, it'll be, it'll be on its way shortly. I'm sorry you haven't received yours yet, Rob. I felt bad about That's- that. It's okay. It's on the way. I actually did get it on Amazon. So I'll make sure and include the link so that everyone can, can get it there. And then obviously uh, you do have uh, professional services. So what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they're looking for something more than the book? Maybe they want some, some coaching or they, they're looking maybe for some help with uh, their team or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So you can get to me on, on LinkedIn. That's no problem. You can connect with me. It's just, uh, you know, Ryan J Warner, or we have professional presentation services has its own page on LinkedIn. You know, feel free to follow us. I'm always posting articles, free resources on professional presentation services.com. There is a, uh, there's a messaging feature on there. There's a contact form. So you can feel free to, to fill that out. 
Uh, typically, people fill that out for speaking engagements. Lately, it's been a lot of speaking engagements on the book. But yeah, if you're looking for coaching or if you're interested in, in some training, feel free to, to drop me a, a note on there. I'll do my best to accommodate. Lately, uh, like I said, since the release of the book, and, and I'm glad the success of the book, it's my, been requested a lot of me to deliver talks. But but training and coaching is definitely something that's uh, that's near and dear to the heart. So let me know and I'll, I'll see if I can help you out. And just the last thing I would add is on professionalpresentationservices.com. I have a, a mailing list there. It's it's absolutely free. And I give a, a top tip of the week or I, I give away uh, a speaking strategy every other week. There's a, a biweekly dispatch and it's very short. It's only about 300 words, 250 words. I know one page. Sorry. One, <laughs> It's, it's about one page, maybe a little a little less than a page, and it, it's just a quick digestible tip that you can plug and play and increase the value of your next speaking engagement, your next meeting, anything like that. I love that. I love that. Thank you for mentioning that. And we'll make sure that uh, all of those links get in the liner notes. So if you want to go um, reach out and contact Ryan, be sure to check out the, the liner notes and you'll be able to do that. Ryan, I want to thank you so much for joining me here in Next in Q. It's been great having you here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And anything you need, yeah, feel free to, to reach out. Happy to, to come on here whenever you want. Yeah, and uh, we should say uh, this is uh, not coming out this day, but you know we both had to wake up a little extra early because we lost an hour <laughs> of sleep last night. So um, that's okay. We're getting it taken care of. Yes. Your hair looks great. Mine does Thank too. You. It's to fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Ryan. We'll talk again soon.